Welcome to episode 1182 of The Sleeper on the Bus. I'm Justin Mason with no Jason Collette this week. Jason's out of town, unfortunately, but I promised to bring you a show. So I decided I got to bring in a heavy hitter, the heaviest of hitters. This isn't like a relief pitcher. This is a pure power bat off the bench. I have draft cheat with me. How you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, happy to join the show. An avid listener of Sleeper on the Bust for years. Uh, I think is this my first appearance. I know you and I did a pod like a mm-hmm. few years ago. I don't know if that was Sleeper on the Bust or some uh, or a different. I think that was your pod. I think that's what it was. It was yeah. like, a, and it was like a two and a half, three hour pod. That was, it was fantastic. Actually. Yeah, t- talking ball. So yeah, uh, happy to be on talking. Uh, Talking some Sunday night news, notes, DFS, all that other good stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, we were we we're tilting a little uh, on the you know before we hit the record button. We got fab results in the last hour or so, and uh, I didn't quite get who I wanted on the teams that I needed. So a little little bit tilted tonight. Yeah, I uh, I missed out on a couple of bids by a few bucks, and there's nothing worse than putting in like a hundred dollar bid on a guy. And missing out by three or four bucks with, you know, I'm no Vlad Settler. I am not a fab whisperer or a fab wizard or, or, or have gut um, other than just, you know, excessive eating kind of gut. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm a little bummed, miss out on uh, a bunch of Liam Hendricks. Uh, Definitely was not going anywhere close to the Royce Lewis bids. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, Reed Detmers got dropped in one of my 15 team leagues and I was like, okay, here we go, and missed out by three bucks. It's just, it's just a brutal yeah. way to, to to lose bids. I've got a uh, an OC that's in like two hundredth overall, uh, really really good team. I think it's got like a top ten overall offense. Had a strategy going into the year of just like streaming all the starting pitchers. Uh, you know, while it's it didn't actually work out, like April run environment was kind of the same as May, but the idea was. You know, while while uh, offenses are down during the cold weather, pile up the innings, wins, strikeouts. That all worked. It's like first and wins, way up there in strikeouts. But it's got like five total saves, and it had Ooh. Liam Hendricks and Justin Lawrence available this week. And unfortunately, I've been overspending my fab, so I was down at two hundred five dollars. Lost Hendricks. I was runner up with seventy seven. Someone got it for ninety three. And then lost Lawrence twenty-seven to twenty-four, so missed out on the two guys that I really needed, uh, which was frustrating. But hey, you know, you, you move on. Yeah, uh, ha- are you typically more aggressive in Fab? Because I've been trying to preach the don't be too aggressive, and and I haven't. Like I haven't even listened to my own advice. I've been too aggressive. I'm in uh, like some dire straits in some leagues, uh, including a league where I'm battling with a buddy of ours, uh, Matty Wood in our uh, NFBC auction uh, championship where he's been, been great all year. And I'm, I just passed him today. I think with, I think we both have 110 plus points in the league. So uh, have, how has your fabbing been this year? Have you been really aggressive overall or, and is that the way you usually like to run it? I'm actually typically kind of conservative, but I've been <laughs> chasing closers all year and there really haven't emerged very many, you know, that have that have done well. And then I was over aggressive on Jack Sawinski. I did get him everywhere and I still like what he brings to the table. But it was after that monster week, right, when you hit that like grand slam. And if you look like at his you know, stat cast page and his underlying metrics, he was just off the charts, just crushing it. 
and and off the big week, I thought people were really going to go for him. So I blew some money there, blew some money on Zach Neto when the uh, the Angels called him up. He's been kind of a dud. Maybe could have seen that coming. Uh, I did get Bobby Miller, who was man, he was awesome today. Yeah. That's a that's looking like that's going to come through. So not necessarily the worst pickups, but yeah, I have been aggressive down to like two to three hundred in most leagues. Most times this time of year, I've got you know most of my fab remaining, but just been some guys that I wanted. Some have worked out, some haven't. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it's a tough tough business path, especially especially if you're not playing with Vickery. I wish. Uh, I wish NFBC played with Vickery. That would make things uh, there's nothing nothing worse. And I was helping my wife with her fab in TGFBI today, and uh, and she put four hundred and three dollars on Liam Hendrick because she had a crap ton left. Yeah. And what she really needs is saves. Like you know, getting Liam Hendricks will bust her. You know, could potentially bust her up eight or nine spots. You know, in the saves category, which you know, bust her up. You know, from the middle of the pack to the top of the pack. I think. Uh... I think he's going to have a job now. It's not like officially he hasn't yeah. gotten a save yet. And he looked a little shaky that first outing, but today was his, I believe it was his third outing for the, mm-hmm. for the big league club and uh, pitched what in a two, two game in the ninth, two, three, four hitters. I think for the Tigers mowed him down with ease. Yeah. I'd be pretty surprised if the, uh, the White Sox didn't just put him back in the normal closer role at this point. Yeah. I, I think he's for sure the guy, but uh, yeah. She she unfortunate or she got him for four hundred and three dollars, but like the second highest bid was one hundred and seventy, and I was like, ooh, sorry about that. Um, you know, is what it is. I told her, you know, sometimes you got to go get your guy, and that, that yeah. was an instance where I, I wish know. I would have bid a little bit more on Liam Hendricks tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, in the leagues where I needed him, I wish I had to. I think I only got him in TGFBI, and I don't have very much fab there left. But hopefully, my league doesn't pay attention to fab down the stretch. Then maybe it'll <laughs> be a little bit. Uh, we are. Not going to talk fab tonight because fab has already run and it's not really helpful. So we're going to talk some DFS strategy because uh, DraftGeet here is a DFS guy. Run Pure uh, Sports is a fantastic website for DFS stuff. Um, And then we're going to talk about some guys who are kind of swooning coming into June uh, and whether or not we should be holding tight or cutting bait. Uh, and varying levels of uh, talent there. So some guys who probably are easier cuts than others. Um, uh, but let's first start with some news. Riley Green expected to miss six to eight weeks. He was playing really, really well. Um, are you holding on to Riley Green in most formats? Yeah, I actually had him on three of my five online championships, uh, which are my biggest leagues this year. Didn't play the main event. Um I cut him in all three leagues. So I was pretty high on him coming into the year. was pretty excited to see him coming around. But, man, six to eight weeks for a player who, you know, like he was coming around, but still, like the big league track record we have on him is not like a player that you're sure is going to produce when he comes back, especially after missing that amount of time. You know, it's tough, I think, to, to come back and kind of pick up where you left off. I mean, we saw it last year with Riley Green, right? He missed the first part of the year came back kind of mid-season and never really got going. So you could see something like that. I also think the nature of the injury, a stress fracture, six to eight weeks seems like a very tentative timeline. I assume that's kind of the, the minimum that he would miss. Seems like it could potentially be longer, obviously not a good team environment. And honestly, especially in, I think I would have held on probably in 15s if I could, if I, if I had, you know, enough bench space, uh, didn't have too many injuries on my team, but 
especially in online championships, you can stream that outfield, fifth outfield position fairly easily, right? Like I think close if you, you know, if you're looking at the matchups and, and really grinding, probably get pretty close to the production that Riley Green would have given you or will give you when he comes back. And it's just a long time to hold a guy where, you know, I hear some people talk about like the strategy, oh, if you're, you know, I'll keep him and then I'll drop him if I have to. If, if, you know, my injury list, if my bench fills up with injuries or whatever it may be, but you're missing out on opportunities if you do that, right? Like that's a spot that you can churn, uh, you know, keep an extra starting pitcher you don't want to use that week. In my case, I need saves almost everywhere, speculating on closers every week. That's a spot that I can churn looking for that. It's not, you know, it's not just waiting for him to come back and, and what you might miss when he does come back. It's the opportunity cost of what you can put on your bench and what you might find on the wire while green would otherwise be sitting there taking up a spot. So yeah, for me, I, I did end up cutting him everywhere. Unfortunately, that's kind of been my MO and is almost always my MO uh, in the NFBC leagues. Um, unless they're a real star player. I mean, I had, I had Max Freed on my best OC cut him the week after he went down with, with the injury. It looks like now he might be back perhaps sooner than they expected, but I just don't like filling up my bench if I can avoid it with the IL spots, especially on these kind of two-month-plus injuries. Um, I typically move on. Especially when two months is half of the season or maybe more. And, uh, you know, we're at the point of the year where two months already gone by. There's only four months left. So two months missing half, half the remaining season. And that's if he comes back. You know, we talk about it on this show all the time. Jason's a big proponent of this. Is a, you know, a suggested timeline is usually conservative. Um, or sorry, is usually aggressive, and uh, we want to be a little bit more conservative with what we believe. Uh, and I don't know that Riley Green has the carrying tool yeah. that makes him make up for that missed time once he comes back. It's not like he's a guy who, in a full season, we hit 40 home runs or steal 40 bases. And so, when you're talking about two months remaining in the season, is he going to even do enough at any particular spot to really help you? And I, I just don't know it's that not- he does. It's not like he's going to come back and, like, save your team upon his return. You know what I mean? Like, even when he comes back, like, you know, you're not going to – it's not like some some savior that you're going to have that's just going to automatically come in there and start producing immediately. Um, So, yeah, I'm with you there. And and not to mention, like like you said, like the opportunity cost is a big deal because you may not be super injured today with Riley Green sitting on your bench, but – you know, I wasn't injured at all in my main event. And then all of a sudden Monday comes around last week and I lose Lars Newtbar, TJ Friedel and yeah. Cedric Mullins. And I'm running with a zero in my roster the rest of the week because I don't have the spots mm-hmm. on my bench. So, you know, that can happen while you've got a guy on your bench um, and you just don't want to put yourself in that position. So uh, I, I'm cutting and moving on as well. What about Nestor Cortez? Uh, he went on the IL today with a shoulder issue. Shoulder issues are always really concerning. The Yankees have said that they don't expect him to miss a ton yeah. of time. But how worried are you on Nestor Cortez? Because another one of my guys on my main event where it's like, oh, no, now I've got five guys on the IL on my bench, and I don't have that flexibility. And that's what they always say with these injuries. I mean, Justin Steele is another one where that guy's going to miss the minimum. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> I'll believe that one when I see it. I mean, Cortez is kind of the same thing. Uh, I, I never really bought into what Cortez was doing, the, you know, especially last year. Like, it kind of seemed like a, a magical season for him, right, where everything came together. 
I mean, all the fly balls that he was giving up, they just weren't leaving the yard. And then, and then all of a sudden they were the stuff for him. You know, if you look at, you know, the stuff plus modeling, that kind of thing for Nestor Cortez, pretty underwhelming. And in the poor results this year, I don't know. I don't have any Nestor Cortez. Um, so, you know, I wasn't, haven't been following him especially closely, but I, I'm not super optimistic, even if he comes back healthy, about his ability to turn it around. So I don't know if I necessarily would have cut him. Maybe wait a week if you can, just to see. But he's not someone that I'm especially excited about going forward, really regardless of his health status. Yeah, he's a guy that I was kind of tepid on, got a good deal on in the main event. Uh, and really Quote-unquote good pitching. deal, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and, I, and his team, I really, really needed pitching because I, I waited super long to yeah. get starting pitching. Um, in that main event, uh, he, the last few starts, he started looking a lot better, a lot more like himself. The slider was uh, a lot sharper. And then the start before he went on the IL, he did not. And so I don't know if that was, hey, maybe his shoulder was bothering him. That's why he wasn't getting the movement on the slider. Or if he was just going back to the guy we saw at the beginning of the season. I held on to him. I'm going to hold on to him for a week and hope we get some more news that he's coming back pretty quick. Uh, but I can also understand uh, people getting concerned because, like you said, the results haven't been there to hold on to a guy like that. So, all right, not much news to talk about, so we're just going to jump into DFS strategy. Uh, I love playing DFS. I play it regularly. Did really done really really well the last few years. Have not done so well with it uh, so far this year. Um, my first question is, how often should you play? Like. Like so I've heard some people say like, Hey, I, I pick and choose my moments. And then other people say the only way to make money with DFS is to play regularly because it rules out some of the variants. Where are you at on that? Let me first start with saying we're going to go into some different DFS strategies. Mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult to be a long-term winner in DFS. Uh, there's just not very many people that do it. If you're playing casually without projections, without an optimizer, you know, without, uh, getting good information, you know, obviously over at Run Pure Sports, where I work, we, we, of course, like to think that we provide that. We do. But, you know, uh, I've still had losing MLB DFS seasons. I've had a lot of big wins over the years for sure. But, um, you know, just because you're good at fantasy baseball, season-long fantasy baseball, it's no guarantee you're going to win money playing DFS. So I do just want to kind of want to put that out there before we go into this. In terms of whether you should play every day, I would say for the vast majority of players, no, I don't think you need to play every day whatsoever. Um, and, you know, the next kind of a sidebar here, short slates versus larger slates. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to play more, especially if you're not like truly trying to, you know, systematically grind up a bankroll um, to pick your spots. And sometimes, you know, when I look at a slate, I, I do play every day. I provide content over at RPS for it every day. So, of course, I got to have some skin in the game. Um, but, but there are some slates where, you know, I'm looking at ownership projections, projections, trying to find the edge that way. And there are some slates where I think, like, that it's, it's hard to find an edge. Like, I agree with the, you know, the best projections that are out there. Um, I agree on who should be the most owned. Like, it all kind of falls in line with where I think it should be. Where I think there can be an edge is if you think you've got a hidden gem. You know, it could, could be a pitcher that maybe people don't know about that you think can, can perform better. Or, uh, you know, a stolen bases matchup is, is something I, that I've uh, made some money on over the years. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, if you want to put some money in there every day, I think that's fine. But I think picking your spots 
for most people is probably the better way to do it. That said, I will say almost all people uh, overestimate their ability to uh, overestimate their ability to see what their edge is on any given slate, right? Like you think your edge is here, and then it's it's not like, of course, there's confirmation bias and all that stuff. So a lot of different factors that go into it. But yeah, long answer short, I I would say picking your spots probably better for most people. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I completely agree. And that's how I do things. I, when I deliver DFS content regularly, I played every day. Um, but since I don't no longer give DFS content daily, I no longer play every day. I pick my spots. I'm typically playing, you know, Tuesdays, Thursdays. And then if I see something that strikes me as like, hey, I think there is an inefficiency in the market here, yeah. then maybe I'll, uh, I'll, I'll jump in on another day. Uh, but the weekends are hard for me. I got a family, you know, it's hard, hard to, you know, mm-hmm. have to set out that time because it does take time um, to kind of bust through everything. Uh, what's the best way to build a bankroll? So let's say you're just kind of, you're newer to DFS, you don't have a bankroll or you pull your money out. Like what is the best way to build a bankroll for kind of a newer player? The thing you shouldn't do is put most of your money in the super top heavy GPPs, which are what everybody kind of likes to play. Like if you go over to DraftKings, you know, most days it's a $15 tournament with 50,000 to first, but you got to be 15,000 teams. And, you know, 33% of the prize pool goes to first place, which is, you know, 0.0001% of the field. So I've won that tournament a few times, certainly over the years, and it, it is possible. Um, but if you're, you know, especially if you're not playing a whole bunch of lineups, if you're just a one lineup or a couple lineup person, it's very hard to do. Uh, and because such a high percentage of the prize pool goes, you know, to, uh, to such a low percentage of the field, literally one person, uh, unless you get first in that tournament at some point during the year, you're almost certainly going to lose money on that tournament throughout the year, unless you happen to, to actually bink it once, which is, Again, very, very difficult to do. So um, building a bankroll, you know, most people play tournaments at this point. You have to be really grinding to play cash games, in my opinion. Like you really need the, the top projections, uh, ownership projections. Like, And even then, after the rake, the edges are very, very small in DFS cash games uh, at this point in the, you know, the DFS life cycle. So tournaments, uh, possible higher possible ROIs for sure. Uh, and then I would recommend the single entry stuff, the three max. Uh, and uh, one thing that most people should do that I think a lot of people don't do is, you know, people play one lineup and maybe play it in five different contests, right? What you should really do to, lessen your variance at least a little bit is play five different lineups, you know, say in the $4, uh, 20 max, something like that, where you do certainly lessen the variance by not putting all your, you know, all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. So building a bankroll is, is tough. Like I said, it's tough to be a long-term winner in DFS. There's no question about it. So kind of by your, the very nature of building a bankroll, you have to be a winning player before you can build a bankroll in the first place. Right. Um, but that, that's the best way to do it. Try to find where your edge might be. There is sometimes overlay in tournaments, uh, you know, where it doesn't fill up. So you get lower rake. Um, I know if you use Google Chrome, you can go, uh, Roto grinders has a extension that puts in 
you know, the percentage of a, a tournament that's filled, the the rake. DraftKings doesn't give you like the rake on any individual tournament. It does vary pretty significantly, and they'll give you that like right on your DraftKings screen uh, if you download that extension, which can kind of help you game select better. So there are certain things you can do to kind of, uh, you know, increase your edge a little bit, but uh, cer- certainly tough to, to grind it up. There's no question about it. I will say, uh, obviously, with, you know, sports betting kind of spreading around the country, um, if you kind of view your DFS bankroll and your sports betting bankroll as one entity, there are a lot of really good bonuses out there uh, that you can pick up some free money off the ground, frankly, if you're willing to invest a little bit. So that's kind of honestly the best way to get started. Uh, take take advantage of those bonuses, those free bets, and then maybe you can roll that into to DFS if you're trying to, you know, run up a general baseball gambling type bankroll. Yeah, I can't wait for California to legalize. Yeah, we'll betting. see with California, man. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's going to get done, but I also think it's not going to be through DraftKings. It'll be through the Native American tribes. Um, but we'll, we'll see. They keep fighting. So, uh, how do you approach your lineup construction? So when you sit down, are you a guy that's like, hey, I'm going to spend big on pitching or am I going to spend big on certain positions and hitting? Um, am I going to skip out on certain things? Um, and, I mean, you can talk about kind of like cash versus GPP in, in that regard um, as well. Or do you kind of – is every slate different? Because every slate's going to have different inefficiencies. Yeah, every slate is, is completely different. So I think – one mistake that a lot of people make with MLB DFS is they they start with pitching, right? They think they got to get the pitching right. The truth is, uh, the majority of DFS, you know, MLB DFS tournaments are won with the hitting, especially this year, where we're not seeing. I mean, there's not very many like surefire aces that are going to give you, you know, 30 plus DraftKings points time and time out, especially with you know, DeGrom not pitching, Garrett Cole is kind of obviously not, not pitching super well. And yeah, you need, you know, oftentimes 180, 200 plus fantasy points, DraftKings points to win a tournament. Even if your two stud pitchers go off, you're getting, you know, usually at most 50 from them. So uh, I think a, a mistake people definitely make is starting with pitching and, and then going from there when in truth is the, the hitters, your stacks, actually have more upside and, and uh, kind of ultimately determine who wins more often than pitching. So I think one way you can get different, obviously, is to go cheaper at pitching. That's uh, certainly kind of what I'm known for a little bit in the DFS industry is picking off, you know, lower own cheaper pitchers that come through and then you can kind of afford the big bats, which can help you lead you to some big wins. So that's generally what I try to do. But like you said, it does certainly depend slate to slate. Like sometimes there's just no cheaper pitchers that are even, you just can't stomach playing them. And so you do got to pay up for, you know, for what you perceive to be as sure things. I mean, just today I played, uh, you know, mostly Eovaldi, Joe Ryan, and then Sandy Alcantara, because there just wasn't any cheap pitchers that I was really willing to play. So it really does depend on the slate. Um, Line of construction is also important. People that are kind of getting started, ownership projections are really key where when you're trying to beat a big field, if 40%, 50% of the field has a pitcher, 
even if they throw a perfect game and strike out every batter and score 70 DraftKings points, doesn't really get you that much closer to finishing first out of 15,000 teams because 50% of the people have, you still got 7,500 people to beat. So there is a certain uh, advantage to fading the chalk if you can get it right. It's obviously a, a tricky thing to do. It's not always the proper thing to do, but all things considered, you certainly want the lower owned player if you think that they've got you know, a similar chance of delivering value on their salary. So, you know, tons more that goes into it too, but yeah, I guess that's kind of the 5,000 foot view there. Nice. And I, I kind of subscribe to the same kind of theory that a lot of times where I'm kind of skipping out is on the pitcher is because it's where you can bank the most amount of money and spread it around your offense. Uh, often if, if you're able to get a $6,000 pitcher into your lineup, it leaves you a hell of a lot more money to kind of spread around that offense uh, and potentially hit big. Uh, what are some of the best tools that you like to use? You mentioned some. You also have some at your site, so make sure you talk about those because uh, you guys do great work over there. Yeah, so over at Run Peer Sports, if, you know, subscribers, uh, we do have, like, core plays from all our coordinators. Um, we do up-to-lock shows where we kind of discuss, obviously, all the lineups, any, any breaking news, break down all the games, all that good stuff. Uh, we do have our own projections as well over at, at Run Peer Sports, which are – which are really solid. Uh, I will say uh, Derek Cardi's The Bat X is kind of the industry standard for DFS projections. Um, so that's certainly a tool that you could use. And then um, Optimizer. So we have a partnership with a, a company called SaberSim. Um, and so there they have their projections. You can upload your own if you want to or change anything around. They also give you the, their projected ownership on each individual player. Uh, you know, you can put in how much exposure you want if you're playing multiple lineups and then get them to, you know, click the players you want to play or the stacks that you want to play. You can even click, you know, what kind of stacks you want to play. 5-3, which is five hitters from one team, three from another. 5-2-1, which is, you know, of course, five hitters from one team, two from another. 4-4, uh, four, four hitters from one team, four from another. And it'll spit out lineups uh, for you that you can then kind of go through and just look at, right? And X out and say, oh, this, this one looks good. Change the projection. So I spend obviously a good amount of time each day in there kind of tweaking things. Uh, and then they run Sim Saber Sim, so obviously Saber Simulation, short for that. And they know kind of the historical data of what kind of lineups, what kind of lineup combinations have typically come out on top in different you know, size field tournaments, that sort of thing. They want to make sure you don't have too high of a cumulative ownership across your lineup, all that stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, projections, ownership projections, and then uh, getting yourself access to an optimizer. Uh, there's a lot of them out there, but yeah, SaberSim is my personal favorite. Um, is, you know, a pretty good starting point if you do want to take it seriously. There you go. Uh, let's talk about some guys uh, who are swooning during or entering the month of June. So not a June swoon yet, but these are like some of the guys that you might be uh, dropping or thinking about dropping or shoot. I've seen some of these guys on my waiver wire. I uh, put in a, a bid on Michael Harris, who we're going to talk about here uh, in a minute. Uh, and I'll explain why I didn't put a very big bid on him. Uh, let's start off with Hori Mateo who has a negative WRC plus since the beginning or in the last 30 days, negative 
10. This is a guy who was on fire. I mean, just carrying teams to the top of the standings in the first month of the season and has been absolutely atrocious ever since. You holding on to Jorge Mateo? Do you think he turns it around at any point? So it's funny. If you look at his, like, cumulative season stats now compared to what they were last year, they're essentially the same. Uh, now through now, you know, we're through two two months and change. But what he was doing in April compared to what he did in May and now in June are just completely different. I, I couldn't believe when I, like you said, a negative 10 WRC plus. I don't know how it's possible to go negative on some of these. Like when someone has like a negative XFIP, it's like, what is, how can you be giving up negative runs when you're pitching? It doesn't make a ton of sense. But regardless, let's you know just how bad he's been. Uh, I mean, I, let, you know, Listen, two, 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 uh, yeah, 2021, he had an 83 WRC plus. Last year, he was 82. And then this year, he's at 77. So most of the, you know, the strikeouts, walks, ISO, all those things look pretty close uh, to what they did in the last two years. I would pretty much expect him to be the player that he was in 2022, maybe with you know, slightly more steals, but he's still 35 bases last year and 533 plate appearances. So I don't know how much more you can expect. Uh, this one, I will say, is kind of the, like the, a poster child for not getting too caught up in in changes. Like, like we looked, we like to look at the analytics, right? When a player starts hot, it's like, have they made changes to support this, this new outcomes that they're having? And if you looked at April for Jorge Mateo, it looked like he had, right? The strikeouts were down. The barrels were up. You're like, is this a, a, a whole new Jorge Mateo? But you can run hot even in the underlying metrics, right? I think is an important thing to keep in mind for a month, right? Your strikeout can go down for a month. Your swinging strike rate can go down. You can chase fewer pitches because you're just feeling good and, and hot for a month. So, you know, it's I, I kind of bought into it. I was kind of thinking, I don't, I don't have any Jorge Mateo. And after April, I was like, man, is this going to be a guy that you like have to have to, to compete? Because it looked like he was going to like steal 70 bases and hit 25 home runs and, you know, hit 300 or something. And, you know, of course, you don't expect him to come crashing down to earth this hard. But it just goes to show you that even when the underlying metrics themselves change, doesn't mean that those metrics themselves are going to hold up and, and you can just see kind of the the craziness that that is a baseball season we're getting into it now i remember you know back in april when those first like week or two of april everyone's just panicking or going to the moon with with different players and uh the truth is most players kind of generally return to the numbers on the back of their baseball card in the end it's it's just the truth of the matter not all of them of course and not to say that it's not worth digging into but i think mateo is a very good example of why it's not why it's important not to get too high or too low, even when the underlying metrics look like they've taken a change. And and for that reason alone is one of the reasons why I try not to be like overly aggressive one way or another. It's hard not to be <laughs> it's hard because I mean we don't have any other data, right? Like and yeah. so we start we start freaking out. And I think every year there are mistakes made. Uh, you know, I think Marcus Simeon was a big one for for people last year where everyone's like, oh you need to just drop him, get rid of him. Um, you know, we'll see some of the ones uh, that play out by the end of the year. Uh, this year, I think it's still maybe too early to tell on some of these guys. But I, I think you're right. I think Mateo is just kind of a guy who's going to run hot, going to run cold. He's going to have 
uh, big months. He's going to have really, really bad months. Uh, in his defense, still making like 86% zone contact uh, since uh, the beginning of May. So like that's above league average. The problem is he's been super, super aggressive and he's swinging outside of the zone too much. Um, and that that is, that is a problem. And he's getting some bad luck in BABIP. He's got like a 180-something BABIP uh, over the course of the last 30 days. I think that's going to end up working itself out. I think he's going to end up being the kind of guy he was last year, which was, you know, a guy who hits for, you know, a little bit of power, but steals a ton of bases. The average doesn't necessarily kill you, but it doesn't help you either. Um, I'm if someone's dropping Jorge Mateo and I need stolen bases, I yeah. swoop it. Like I just, I, I'm probably, I'm probably picking him up even if I don't need him because you yeah. never know what's going to happen in my even, you know, going forward. Like I said, I think he'll kind of return to what he was last year, but I mean, I think he's got a pretty good shot at 40 stolen bases and 10 to 15 home runs. That's a pretty valuable player in a, in a decent offense there. And because he can play a lot of different positions, like yeah. he can fill in, even if like he's not starting in one spot, uh, you know, every day for the Orioles, especially as the Orioles are competing, uh, like he will find ways into the lineup because guys get hurt. Other guys will struggle uh, and they'll look to, you know, plug that hole typically with Jorge Mateo. So not super worried. A guy I am pretty worried about, uh, and I was worried about coming into the season. So it's more of just kind of maybe some confirmation bias for me is, is Michael Harris the second. Um, who has just not looked good in the time that he's been on the field and he's missed time. 20 WRC plus uh, over the last 30 days. How worried are you on Michael Harris? Yeah, this is one of my highest own players. So I've been uh, I've been feeling the, the Michael Harris pain this year. I know, I, know uh, I think you and Paul were both off of him. I know uh, a lot of other friends that I chat with about fantasy were kind of out on Michael Harris. And I was telling everybody, how stupid they were to be fading Michael Harris this year. And it's uh, so far been me who's, uh, who's, who's eating that one. I'm starting to lose faith a little bit. Uh, I was, I was holding strong. I mean, even now with the, with the slump, like his numbers look almost identical to last year. So like last year, average exit velocity, 89.5 this year, it's 89.7. Max EV up slightly this year, launch angle up slightly, barrel rate down from 10.1 to 9.3, hard hit rate 45.1 to 45.3. He's actually walking more, striking out less, swinging, chasing less, swinging in the zone more. Um, It's really hard to find much that he's doing differently than last year. Now, it's a little bit less true in the last month. Like, he had the back injury, right? Like he started off slow, then he missed, he get back injury. They said it was going to be a minimum amount of time. I think he missed three weeks and really hasn't done much since he came back, but I don't think he's hurt. Uh, like the sprint speed is not down. He's still playing a fantastic center field. He's still out there every single day. There's really no signs that he's hurt. It does seem just watching him hit the eye test, the old eye test. It seems like his confidence is starting to wane a little bit, which Kind of hard not to, right? You're hitting 172 after you had that monster rookie year. You're 22 years old. Um, But I still think Michael Harris will turn it around. I think the defense that he provides in center field, listen, they don't really have another option. Their other option is, um, why is his name? The old Rockies guy. Uh, uh, Michael Talkman. No. um, 
He'll come to me in a second here. They're, they're backup center fielder right now. Big swing and miss guy, but he, he's a super high strikeout guy as well. Um, and like I said, Harris, fantastic defensively. They've obviously moved him down to the nine hole. He's staying there until he starts hitting and probably a lot longer even after that. But, you know, he's still running when he gets a chance. He just has never run first to actually steal, but he is five for five on the base pass. I do think he'll continue to steal bases. He's still in one of the very best lineups in baseball. Like the swing and miss isn't up. Uh, yeah, I, I think he'll turn it around. You know, maybe we've got the opposite confirmation bias here where you were kind of off him and now he sucks. And you're like, yeah, I knew it. And I'm kind of like, I thought he was going to be good and he sucks. And I'm like, oh, he'll turn it around. But I still do have some faith in Michael Harris. I'm nowhere close to dropping him. Uh, I still run him out there every every uh, Monday through Thursday and, and Friday through Sunday and take my one for 12. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think he'll turn it around. I think the, the physical tools are still really, really good for Michael Harris, the power, the speed. Still think that's there. He's been very unlucky, of course, despite the poor performance. And, uh, yeah, I, I still do have some modicum of faith here. So, I mean, one of the reasons I was out on him was just the price. Like, I just didn't yeah. – I, I felt like there were some some scary parts to the skills that I was really worried about uh, his, his O-swing. But like you said, he's actually cut down his O-swing uh, a little bit um, or a, a fair amount. Um I think part of the issue right now is he is trying to hack at things to try to hit his way out of a slump, and it's yeah. not really working. Um, that being said, <laughs> yeah. That being said, like I kind of agree with you. I think he will turn it around. Do I think he's going to be like the second first round player that he you know was last year for people? Um, no, I, I don't think he necessarily. But do I think you can get? home runs and stolen bases, um, you know, and, you know, decent counting production, even though he's on the bottom of that Braves lineup, but because that Braves lineup is so good top to bottom, I do. And I think if people drop him, you should try to pick him up. I tried to pick him up today. He was one of those guys that I just missed out on by a few bucks. And I, I was disappointed um, just because I wasn't in on him. Doesn't mean I don't think he would, you know, return positive value if you're picking him up off the waiver wire. I think he's. What, what kind of league did he get dropped in that you were looking at picking him up? Was it OC? I can't. I can't remember if it was an OC. I think it was an OC. Um, and it's I would have hard time imagining someone dropped him in a fifteen, but maybe. You never know. I, Anthony yeah. Volpe got dropped in a fifteen, and I picked him up today. I didn't even need him, and I picked him. Oh, that's nice. I was like, oh, like you know what? He, he can be my MI for a little while, and I move Michael Massey to the bench. Um, yeah. So you know, I may be leading the league in stolen bases, but screw it. Who doesn't need a few more stolen bases? Um, so uh, yeah, I. Yeah, I, do I think he's going? Do I think Harris is going to end up being a league winner for people? No, but I also think that there is a range of outcomes where he is a league winner for people. And so, yeah, if he gets dropped in your league, um, I'm picking him up. Uh, and if I'm holding, if I've been holding on to him, I'm continuing to hold on to him because, like you said, that fantastic defense in center field means something. And while I know we don't get points for defensive stats, what you do get is plate appearances, and that is a stat that matters in fantasy. And it's it's so like players can turn their turn around their season on a dime. I mean, Kyle Schwarber, good example. He's not on our list tonight, but like just was just struggling all mm -hmm. May doing nothing. They moved to the leadoff spot. He gets like six hits over the weekend. He hit two bombs, six RBIs today. 
he's on another one of my on my best team. And all of a sudden, pretty damn excited to have Kyle Schwarber again. And it's like Michael Harris hits home runs in back to back games, and all of a sudden, you know, you're you're looking, oh, what can I do? How much can I move up if this guy gets going? Like it doesn't take long to kind of lock back in. A couple of hits fall in, he steals some bases. And when the, when the talent is still there and the underlying skills haven't changed, again, I, I mean, I wish I wouldn't have drafted Michael Harris in the third round on three of my five teams, but I did. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sticking with him for now, for sure. If he hits 500 this week in a full, you know, you know, plate, a full set of plate appearances, you're going to be feeling a lot better. Like, he doesn't even need to hit for the power. Like, if he just hits for, like, a really good batting average this week. I'll take, I'll take 500 for a day. Two for four. Would be yeah. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next guy on the docket is James Outman, who has a 36 WRC plus. Here's another guy, like right. I think uh, there were a lot of smart people. Uh, I include myself in that, even though I'm not a smart person. That was in on James Outman uh, coming into the season. He was amazing to start the year. He's not been so amazing last 30 days. Or how worried are you on James Outman? Yeah, I don't have any of him. Looking at his metrics, he actually looks sort of like a Michael Harris-ish type player, right? Like some really good raw skills, can play good outfield defense, can really run, uh, power, speed. But, you know, the play discipline issues are the kind of the same thing that plagues him. Um, actually, I was kind of surprised digging into him a little bit. Uh, he's actually hit lefties better than righties this year, so that – I guess hasn't really been an issue. Um, yeah, I think I would probably stick with James Outman if I if I had him. He's gonna just the nature of his play style, right? I think that like thirty five percent strikeout rate that he's rocking right now is probably about his true number. But players this day and age, especially if you've got power and speed, you can make that work, right? Like I, I think I think the fantasy industry in general has kind of almost jumped the shark on the plate discipline stuff. Good example of that is the Adelise Garcia thing where you're like, man, like at a certain point, if you're just producing year in and year out, you got power, you got speed, like, yeah, okay, you've got a weakness in your game. Uh, it's a plate discipline, but man, I'd rather have someone that strikes out too much and doesn't walk enough than someone that's, you know, making weak contact and popping out and grounding out and just not doing any damage, not running. I don't care if you're, you know, don't chase outside the zone. If you don't got any pop in your bat, you don't have any power, you can't run. So, yeah, Alvin has the, the two things that you can't fake, in my opinion. That's power and that's speed. You can't you can't fake those things. You kind of either have them or you don't. He's got them both. And those are the players that even when they're, you know, they're going to have slumps, but at least they've got upside lurking, right? Like one small change to the plate discipline and all of a sudden – you know, you got like a potential, I don't know, it looked like at the beginning of the year, he could be a, what, a 30-30 type-ish player, 30-20 type-ish player. So th these are the upside type guys that I think you want to keep around on your roster as long as you can because they can be difference makers for you, right? That's that's what you need, guys that can kind of carry you to fantasy championships, not the guys that, you know, aren't chasing anything and only have a 17% strikeout rate, but they're going to hit 275 with 15 home runs and five steals. Like that's not doing anything for you. Give me, give me the, the high upside guys and I'll, I'll ride the wave on the ups and downs with the strikeouts if I have to. 
I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I get to invoke the Danny Green quote, right? He is who we thought yes. he was. Like this is this is who he has been throughout the minor leagues, which is a guy who's shown a ton of power, a ton of speed, uh, and strikes out way too damn much because he swings and misses a lot. Like this is just the opposite end of the spectrum. One of the reasons why, um, if you follow any of the things I write over on Fantasy Pros, uh, and I do my buy uh, low, sell high article, about three weeks ago, or maybe a month ago or so, I I wrote an article about selling Outman, because I was like, his value is never going to be any higher in this, because the underlying contact skills were not good. Um, That being said, like, if you if you stuck through at this point, like you might as well continue to stick through because now you can't sell. Now you've got to wait for the upswing. Um, and I think the upswing will come uh, in large part because this is not the Dodgers team of old where they have a bunch of other options to, you know, put out there on the roster. I mean, Trace Thompson went on the IL today. They need a center fielder. I think it's going to be Outman more often than not. And he will turn things around. Um, and then he'll probably, after he turns things around, he'll probably go back into another slump. It's going to be up and down. Those of you in head-to-head leagues, I know it's really frustrating because he's going to be the difference between whether you win or lose weeks, but he's kind of what you bought into. So I think uh, hopefully you supplemented with guys who can hit for average consistently um, because that that's a roster construction issue. He was a narrative nation here, but he was on, on the Sunday night broadcast, Sunday night baseball broadcast. He was mic'd up for an inning playing center field and you could just tell, I mean, he still feels confident out there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like he wouldn't, uh, it's, it's again, it's a little thing, but like when someone's slumping this bad, you're worried, like, is there something wrong with them? Are they hurt? And you could just see from, from the interview, like one, he wouldn't agree to do it if he was really feeling down about himself. And two, you could tell, like, he, he just, this is, I mean, he's been a high strikeout guy coming up through the minors the whole way. He's had plenty of slumps. Uh, I do agree with you. Players like Outman, like Harris, like maybe Adelise Garcia, when they get red hot for two, three weeks, it is probably the time to sell them because you know the slump's coming eventually, just mm-hmm. the nature of those players. But, yeah, right now at the at the bottom of his value, don't, don't give up on him. He'll, he'll come back around sooner than, rather than later. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if this was, you know, Dodgers of old where – Sure. Uh, I was like, you know, oh, he could go back down to the minors or just be a bench. I don't player. think that's happening with him. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they have that luxury anymore. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe if he continues to struggle till the All Star break, they bring someone else in. But at this moment, like, who are they going to play over him at this point? Like, it's it's not like they have a ton of talent. Um, you know, David Peralta. No, he's like, not going anywhere. Not yeah, even going anyway. <laughs> So, uh, Wilson Contreras, another guy who is struggling uh, pretty heavily uh, right now, 53 WRC plus over the last uh, 30 days. Uh, any concern with Wilson Contreras, who I do have in way too many spots? Yeah, Cardinals, man. They got the worst record in the National League at this point. Uh, unbelievable given the talent on that roster. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you might think like, Cardinals have just been their management manager, all that stuff. Like they need to make a big change there. Um, but yeah, maybe a podcast for another day in terms of mm-hmm. Contreras himself. I, I dug in here. I couldn't really see anything that he's doing differently than he has in the past. Barrel rate, max EV expected velocity are all even up a little bit from where they've been. Uh, the 
really the only change. I mean, strikeout rate, walk rate, they all look the same. Uh, really the only thing is the home run to fly ball ratio, which if we go back to, well, his career rate is 20%. This year he's sitting at 11%, right? So it's, it's cut in half. And you see uh, last year he turned, what, 33 barrels into 22 home runs. This year he's got 15. It's just six. So if that was, you know, 10 home runs, 10, 11 home runs on those 15 barrels instead of the six that he has, you'd be feeling a lot better about him, right? He's even got the, the four chip in steals. Uh, yeah, I really don't see much reason to be concerned about Contreras. I would definitely expect him to pick it up. I still think that Cardinals lineup, it's going to turn it around. There's just too many Very good in there. I mean, and frankly, we've seen it from the Cardinals many, many years, right? The whole card, like they've had like the second half comeback where they get red hot and win, you know, 65, 70% of their games for the last two months of the season. It's happened to them like a couple times in the last five or six years, it seems like. So, yeah, I would not give up on Wilson Contreras. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, you're not going to trade him at the bottom of his value. You're certainly not dropping him given the state of the catcher position. He's still playing almost every day, even though they did that weird thing where they said you can't catch anymore, which was – and then they, like, went back on it like four days later or something. So, like, you you might think all that stuff was affecting him, right? Like – the, the kind of the bullshit that he's got to deal with with the Cardinals and the and the defense issues or whatever. But, like, none of that stuff really bears out in any of the metrics. So, yeah, I, I would expect Wilson Contreras to be completely fine going forward, honestly. Yeah, his XBA is 255. If he's hitting 255 right now, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, and yeah, like, like you... said, six, if, those, if it was 10 home runs instead of six, yeah. like, I think he, I think he's the exact same dude. Yeah, I, I think I think he's exactly the same dude. You look at like rest season projections from like the bad bad X, uh, they're they're fine. Like they're 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 what you expect from Wilson Contreras. Uh, if somebody drops him in your league, just oh, just yeah. go and swoop right now because um, and I'm sure he will get dropped in in some leagues. Uh, yeah, I have no concerns about him, uh, even though I've got him on a bunch of teams and he's, he's hurt me a little bit. I, I expect him to be the Wills Contreras of old. I think the only difference you might see is that it's a harder stadium to hit home runs in. Um, so maybe as things warm up in Wrigley and, and the winds blow out uh, in the summertime for, you know, when he had been in Chicago, maybe you don't get quite as much power as you did previously, but I think otherwise he's going to be fine. He, and, he's the guy though, with a lot of raw power that like can, can kind of hit it out anywhere. So yeah, yeah. I, I think, that's true to some extent, but yeah, I wouldn't be worried about him. I'm not, I'm not worried at all. And I agree with you about the Cardinals right now. If I wanted to make a long shot bet, I'd be like throwing a little bit of money down on the Cardinals to win that division. Cause I don't think the rest of that division is very good. And I know there's seven and a half games out, but that can be made up. Pretty Who, who's in first there in that division? The Brewers yeah. and Pitts, Pittsburgh's in second. So I, I mean, the Brewers we really... kind of suck to be honest. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't I think either, I don't think any of those teams are really that good. Yeah. So uh, I, I still think the Cardinals on paper are the best team. It's just whether or not they're going to get their shit together or not. All right. Uh, the uh, the next guy, uh, Tim Anderson, a, a 54 WRC plus, and I haven't seen what he did today yet, but he hasn't had a home run, at least coming into today. I don't think he had one today either. So uh, how worried are you on Tim Anderson right now? Yeah, I kind of finally bought in a little bit this year. I kind of thought his super high batting averages were always a little fluky. Like they're so, you know, Babbitt-based. 
Babbit based um, that I was always a little hesitant. And then, uh, yeah, kind of got him, thought he'd be solid. He did deal with that. I can't remember what the injury was. It wasn't super serious. This hasn't really gotten going yet this year. This White Sox team in general has been very disappointing. Uh, they are getting healthier, though, right? They got Eloy back. Um, I, I don't know. I think Tim Anderson kind of in that Wilson Contreras group for me where kind of think it's just some bad luck early on. He does have six barrels, no home runs on those. Typically, he gets about uh, 50% barrel to home run rate. So I think that will turn around. You know, he, I don't think he's going to be – have a monster season or anything, you know, maybe you're looking at what, I mean, the projections say eight or nine home runs the rest of the way with a 290 average and 15 ish steals, which are Tim Anderson numbers. I, I don't see much here to uh, really change what I expected from him for the rest of the season going forward. Obviously he's banged all these bad stats, the ground ball rates up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I do think he'll turn it around. He's still playing uh, every single day, still leads off, uh, still runs a decent amount when he gets a chance. Um, and, yeah, kind of expect him to be more of the same. I wouldn't expect, like, the, you know, the 320, 330 batting averages that we had in the past. I do think he was kind of playing over his head just a little bit at that time. But I do think he'll be a pretty productive player going forward, not someone that I'm – uh, even close to giving up on at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe he doesn't get to, you know, 16, 17 home runs. Like we've seen him get. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, the ground ball rate, launch angle all down, uh, but he's also got a 291 XBA. So the batting average probably comes up a little bit, you know, he's going to hit at the top of that lineup, which is better than it is produced. Uh, yeah. I don't know at what point they're going to get their things together. It seems like every year we're having this conversation about the White Sox. Uh, but ultimately, I agree. I think he's going to be fine. There's nothing in the numbers that tells me he's washed or something. Um, and, I mean, even in the, you know, the stints, he's still hitting like 270 on the season. So I think he's going to be fine. So I'm, I'm not super worried on uh, on Tim Anderson. Uh, all right, last hitter before we get to some pitchers. Trey Turner, who was – a top three picks for some people, the number one overall pick 57 WRC plus this year. Are you worried at all? Or sorry, over the last 30 days, are you worried about Trey Turner at all? No, I'm worried for the mental health of the people that chose Trey Turner over Ronald Acuna. Yes. Um, <laughs> which, which I, I would not have done. I picked a Acuna when I, when I had a chance to get him. Uh, Trey Turner actually does have like kind of some more, alarming underlying stats and the other previous strugglers that we've talked about. Uh, strikeout rate is kind of way up for Trey Turner, sitting almost at 25% this year. He's been 18%, pretty much between like, you know, 14 to 18% almost every year of his career. The max exit velocity is down a little bit for him. Uh, barrel rates down a little bit. Like he's, his numbers just kind of across the board are not great. It's funny because he had that big uh, World Baseball Classic, right? Everybody's like, "Oh, he's he's locked in coming into the year. He's going to come out uh, come out of the gates on fire." It just didn't happen for him. Um, but I mean, what are you going to do with Trey Turner other than just keep playing him? I do think this Phillies lineup. I know they've had some injuries, especially with Bryce Harper back now, who looks like. To me, just like normal, normal Bryce Harper. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Schwarber's going to get it going. I mean, 
Harper, Schwarber, Castellanos, Turner, JT Realmuto. They're getting, uh, what, Derek Hall back, I think, pretty soon. Um, I, I still think it's a very, very dangerous lineup that, you know, Turner, whether he's hitting fifth or first, yeah, maybe they're going to move him around, try to figure things out a little bit. He'll probably have a pretty solid year when it's all said and done. Now, he's not going to catch Ronald Acuna anytime soon. And, you know, it's going to be kind of hard to make up that difference, honestly. But what can you do? It's, it's you know, you can't cry over the over the spilled milk. So, I you know, you got Trey Turner. Just keep running him out there. I wouldn't sell low on him at this point. Um, I know the, the stolen bases haven't quite been there, but that's kind of what happens when you're just not getting on base very much. He's still eight for eight on the base pass. It's going to heat up in Philadelphia. I think that offense gets it going and uh, I bet Trey Turner will be a big part of it. So it's kind of my take on, on general in those Phillies, Schwarber, Turner, uh, JT Realmoto using off to a little bit of a slow start. I think that whole offense will get it going and, and kind of get it going as a group, kind of the same take, you know, we had with uh, Contreras and the Cardinals and, Tim Anderson and the White Sox a little bit. Uh, hitting can be contagious at times, mm-hmm. and I think Trey Turner may be a, somewhat of a victim of pressing too much. Uh, but he's one where, like we talked about with Jorge Mateo, uh, even though the underlying metrics with Turner do look worse than they have in the past, there's no reason to think that he's declined physically, right? He's still like 99 percentile sprint speed. I still I still think the, the power, the raw power is going to be there, so – I wouldn't really be worried about him. Certainly frustrating and hard to kind of overcome him, taking him as a top three pick given the production that you've got so far. But going forward, I'd expect him to be pretty much the same player he's been in the past. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I honestly think he is pressing. I think he, you know, and you look at like the infield fly ball rate is up a lot. The the fly ball rate in general is up. The launch angle is up. I think he's trying to power things out. I think he's trying to swing his way out of things. It's not working real well. I think someone needs to, like, you know, set him aside and be like, hey, just go up there and be you. Get on base, you know, make contact, you know, and the other stuff is going to come. I think this is also a reason why, you know, Rick and Glenn, uh, you know, Colton Wolfman, uh, don't like guys in that first big year of a first big contract, right? Because they tend to have this pressure that sometimes they can't live up to. I don't know that I always buy that uh, argument, and I, I drafted Turner on a couple teams, so um, I'm obviously uh, hurting from this one, but I think he's going to be fine. Like, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Like you said, the Phillies offense is really good, and it's starting to come together, I think, for them. So, um, And I think Turner's going to be a huge beneficiary of that. So uh, you know, maybe once everybody else starts hitting, the pressure comes off of him a little bit to try to do everything on yeah. his own, uh, and he doesn't press so much because I do think he is just – Maybe he just needs like a day or two off to get his head straight um, and kind of, you know, rework things. I mean, but, he's, been, uh, he's been talking about, you know, like, oh, I'd be booing me too. And he's been really yeah. kind of frank about it, which I think he'll be fine. He's such a good player. Mm-hmm. He's, he's certainly pressing. But again, one or two good games, right? And yep. the team, team's going off and all of a sudden your mindset changes and you're off to the races. It's a, it's a very, very long season. He gets hot for a month. I mean, look what happened to Juan Soto. I was, I, I got him, and I was worried after a month, and now what do you lead? All baseball and OPS are close to it in the month of May. It could yeah. turn around in a hurry in this game. Yeah, I mean, this is – I think Juan Soto is a great example. I mean, even, you know, uh, you know, Paul and I have talked about it a few times on the podcast. The amount of people are asking me after the first week of the season whether they should drop Max Muncy or not. Like, <laughs> like just, you know, there's still a long ways to go. 
Uh, and this is also why you don't give up on your teens in June, right? There's still plenty of time for you to work your way back up the standings if you've had a rough start to the season. All right, talking some pitching. Lance Lynn has been the bane of my existence all season <laughs> long. I was huge on Lance Lynn coming in. Uh, he has murdered me left and right. Uh, 597 ERA over the last 30 days. Is there any hope for me with Lance Lynn? <laughs> this one, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say really about Lance Lynn. Uh, I've had this, I've been fading him and Alec Manoa all season in DFS and recommending people do so. Uh, I personally think there's kind of something to the pitch clock and the issues with, listen, I mean, I'm not in perfect shape myself, but like, can't help you as a player to be carrying around like 50 pounds extra that, that you just don't need. Now, you know, they've got, they've got the pitch clock. you got to kind of hurry it up. You see the left on base rate, which is normally something you would expect to normalize by far the lowest of Lance Lynn's career. But that's when the pitch clock really comes into play, right? When, when it kind of can't, can't take a minute to stomp around the mound and catch your breath. you got to just keep on going. And so he's seen, right, a career 75% left on base percentage down to a career low 62% this year. That could be fluky, or there could be something to it. Alec Manoa dealing with the same thing. I kind of lumped those two guys in the same bucket and, you know, very possible. I'm reading too much into it, but man, he has been bad. Uh, I would certainly not expect him to be this bad going forward, but like you said, like he'll be cruising along, you know, just give up like four five, six runs in one inning. Um, and just can't get out of it. Did all snowballs on him. And it, it just seems to happen. Like seems like every single start almost, but he has had like a, when it never happens, right? When nobody gets on base at all and he mm-hmm. goes to, a, to a, a dominant start. So, and there could be something to that. Um, but I do have him in, in one of my OCs. I, I considered cutting him today, held on for, uh, for one more week of pain, but kind of getting close with Lance Lynn, I'll be honest. I, I don't even know what to do, to be quite <laughs> honest, because, like, you know, he had turned in three pretty darn good starts in a row, and you yeah. said, okay, now here it is. We finally got the Lance Lynn that we kind of expected, who could be a top 30 starter, um, and maybe this is just, you know, starting off slow like he did, you know, when he came back from injury last year, uh, and, now we're, and then he just – I mean, yes, it was the Angels and the Angels offense – especially the top half of that offense is pretty good, but oh man, it's so effing frustrating for him to give up four, two run uh, home runs. Cause that's all eight runs were, or sorry, it was three, two run home runs. And then he gave up two other runs. Uh, but still like, it was just, it was brutal. Watch. I wish I'd been recording. Cause at least you guys would have gotten some entertainment uh, while I watched uh, my teams get destroyed uh, left and right. Um, I do. I, I kind of agree with you in terms of, I, do think the pitch clock has something to this. I know other people and people who like Nick uh, Pollock, who are smarter than me, um, have said that he doesn't buy that it's a pitch clock issue. It's just a pitch execution. I, I think it's harder to execute when you're tired. And, you know, I mean, well, I mean, I, that's kind of what, what I'm saying is he's not, yeah. can't execute because of the pitch clock. So which yeah. for chicken or the egg, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I don't know if it's – I think we're going to be seeing these kind of ups and downs from him the rest of the way. Do I think it's going to be this bad? No, I don't think it's going to be this bad. 
um maybe the you know the the slumps the bad outings won't be quite as bad because i mean the the white Sox just left him in there just left him in there to hang like you know um i you know you would you would hope that they would go okay after his second two-run home run you know one to otani one to trout like they would have they would have gotten him out of there uh so it didn't turn into an eight-run outing but you know uh they uh they didn't so yeah, do I, I I think things will be better. I don't know that they're going to be that much better, though. And I can't understand, especially those of you playing 10 and 12-team leagues, just dropping and moving on. Because, um, like, this week he goes up against the Yankees. I'm not starting him. Like, I, I'm, I think I'd rather throw a middle reliever in there, even in my 15-team leagues. So, um, but I, I – Well, prepare you know, for the Lance Lynn gem, then. <laughs> and then, of course, it's going to happen because it's, it's his teammate Michael Kopech has been doing that to me all FM season. So. <laughs> my, my favorite fantasy baseball podcast of all time, by the way. You and Spore, early on in the year, you both, I think, had Kopech on your teams. Mm-hmm. It was uh... – <laughs> It was his first start of the year, I believe. Yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah, just so like, happened to be – What did you give up, like five home runs in an inning or something crazy it like was, that? It was unreal, unreal. Um, I'm going to submit that for podcast of the year. It was obviously like the the next day that I listened to it. So I I had watched the Kopech start, so I knew exactly what was going to happen. And like to see how tilted you guys were after the first home run that he gave up and knowing that there's like three or four more coming. It was just like, oh man, this is going to get good. (laughs) It was was awesome. Yeah, sometimes I pro- sometimes I think it's probably better that I don't leave games on while I'm recording, but I, I think there is some entertainment value to watching me like cry live on the air. So yeah. uh what about you, Darvish? Five seventy four ERA over the last thirty days. Is this just, you know, typical you Darvish is uh kind of struggling, but he'll turn it back around, or are you worried about Darvish at all? Yeah, threw a gem yesterday, right? Yeah, he did. Uh I think I think uh, seven shutout innings, struck out nine Cubs. Um, yeah, even prior to that, I won't really be worried about you, Jarvis. We've seen him kind of like he's got he's such a hard guy to analyze, right? Because he's got like six different pitches that he throws so often. He's constantly tinkering with the pitch mix, a percentage amount of time that he throws each pitch type. Um, but he always is pretty good year in, right? Like he, he always kind of figures it out. He gets the strikeouts. Uh, he's been pretty healthy over the last four years. Seems healthy now. I remember there was some worry. I was a little worried with him coming off the WBC. Kind of seemed like he was a little overextended or, you know, or, I don't know, uh, wasn't quite ready to go. But he seems fine to me. Uh, he's not a guy that I would be concerned with other than just, I guess, a general concern about the Padres who are just – Man, what a! You're obviously a, a Giants fan, so you've probably been enjoying the Padres struggles. But yeah, they've been a, a huge disappointment, just as much as the Cardinals, I would say, given relative to expectations. But no, uh, individually, I'm not worried about you, Darvish. I would expect him to just be about his normal self. Now, the what do you get? Like an eight year deal, six year deal? I what? Uh, I I still don't understand that move. <laughs> Talk to me in, uh, you know, 2029 20, when he's 42 years old. I'll probably have some concerns about him then. But for this year, I think he'll be all right. Yeah, he's, he's signed through 2028. That's um, – I yeah, I don't get that. He's going to be like 42 years old or whatever uh, by the time he gets that point. I'm not super worried. We, uh, we saw with his last start, he can kind of turn things around on a dime. He's a guy who's got so many pitches that – 
you know, once one thing's not working, you can switch to something else and try. Uh, for me, it's all about health with Darvish. As long as he's healthy, I'm not super worried about him. Uh, and so far, he's been healthy. So uh, not not worried really in the slightest on him. Uh, while as a Giants fan, it's obviously nice to see uh, the, uh, the Padres not being as productive as I think everybody, including myself, thought. Um, it, it's more as a person who bet on the Arizona Diamondbacks to win the division it's got me excited that they're not performing. Yeah, the Dodgers have slowed down a little bit. Yeah, they they are currently tied at the top of the division Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. So I'm uh, it's still you know still four months to go on that, but I, I'm I'm very encouraged uh, by by the uh, Diamondbacks start and the other teams in the division not living up to their potential, except for the Rockies, who definitely have looked down to their potential. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, Garrett Cole, uh, he he pitched today, so I got to update this number, but five sixty seven ERA. Uh, over the last 30 days coming into today. Uh, what are your thoughts on Cole? Any worries there? Yeah, I don't see how you couldn't be worried about Garrett Cole to some extent. Uh, K rate, K, you know, K percentage last, I don't know, we go back to 2018, his first year with Houston, 35%, 40%, 33%, 33%, and 32%, then this year down to 26%. Also the highest walk rate of any year. Uh, in the last six, swinging strike rate, lowest it's been, all the way down to 10.7%, lowest it's been in that six-year stretch. Um, yeah, it's just uh, – and this is despite uh, the lowest home run to fly ball he's ra- ra- he's had in any year uh, in, in that stretch by a, a decent margin as well. Uh, so that's probably going to come up. We've kind of seen that happening these last uh, few starts, obviously – Started off the year, just wasn't giving up any home runs. Obviously, that was kind of a fluke. This one, you know, if we're talking about a narrative street with old uh, Fat Lance over there, I think the sticky stuff enforcement has hurt Garrett Cole. That's that's my opinion. He's kind of one of the guys that was, you know, the, the poster child for that, really, when they came and said they were going to enforce that. Then they, like, weirdly didn't enforce it last year, I think. Mm-hmm. And this year they said they're going to do it again, and – uh, Garrett Cole's results started to decline after his teammate, Domingo Herman had the uh, kerfuffle suspension. Max Scherzer had it. Um, yeah, I'm, I think Garrett Cole obviously is going to be better than the, what, 5.7 ERA that he's had over the last 30 days. He's still going to be a good pitcher, but I do think he's certainly taken a step back think it would be reasonable, frankly, to have him outside your top five pitchers going forward. Um, and, yeah, what he left the last game against the Dodgers with cramping. That's a little bit weird. Probably okay, but given all the other information, that's a little bit concerning as well. So, you know, you got Garrett Cole, you're going to keep running him out there. Um, but he might be one, unlike most of these guys that we've talked about, I might be willing to sell – you know, quote unquote, sell low on Garrett Cole in a trading league. Because uh, I still think, you know, I still see lists, podcasts that have Garrett Cole in their top three pitchers. I'm not so sure on that right now going forward with Garrett Cole. So he might be one that, you know, I'm not going to sell him for pennies on the dollar. But if someone else thinks he's a top, top arm, yeah, I would trade him. Like, I think if you're doing those trades, right, you're not trading them pitcher for pitcher. You're probably going no, to, you, you know, for like, uh, I don't know, Julio Rodriguez or some, something Trey, like that. Trey Turner. 
Yes, I'd trade him for Trey Turner. I would. Yep. Yeah, I think I think that is a fine trade to me. Like, I don't have massive worries about Garrett Cole. Like, I don't think that there's an injury coming or like he's going to fall off completely. I think he's going to be a very good pitcher. I agree with you that the sticky stuff is there is an impact here, and uh, you know, especially on a slider, he's just not getting nearly as much bite on that pitch, uh, which is a problem. Um, and we're seeing give up the most zone contact that he's given up since he was a Pittsburgh Pirate. Uh, so for those of you who haven't have only been playing fantasy for the last five or six years, may not remember him being a pirate, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely don't think he is a top three starter anymore. I think you can make the argument as a top five to 10 guy. Uh, but if, if I didn't need the pitching, yeah, I have no problem trying to flip him for an offensive piece who Rodriguez, Trey Turner, guys like that. Um, if you can get that deal done, uh, then yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem. Uh, that, but I'm also not super worried. Like I don't, I don't think this is like, oh, there are warning signs on Garrett Cole. I still no, think I'm not in a panic. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think there. I think he has taken a step back that I'm not sure he's gonna necessarily regain going forward. What about Pablo Lopez? Five hundred nine ERA last thirty days. Uh, this is a guy who was fantastic in the first month of the season. Not so fantastic since. Any worries on him? I think this is a good buy low opportunity actually on Pablo Lopez. So I think we'll turn it back around for the twins. Uh, he's, you know, even during this rough stretch, if you look at some of the underlying metrics, you know, the zone percentage, first pitch strike rate, swinging strike rate, all that stuff, they all look still really, really good for Lopez. He actually hasn't had below a double digit swinging strike rate in any of his what 11 or 12 starts so far this year. I think this, uh, kind of, you know, rough run that he's on, at least on the surface stats, is kind of due to the teams that he's faced. Um, you know, Cleveland in his last start, they're a low strikeout team. Toronto before that, at the Angels, at the Dodgers, Padres, like some pretty tough offenses in there. Even against those low strikeout, tough offenses, he's still got a ton of whiffs, still getting ahead of hitters. The velocity is still up at the highest point that it's been his entire career. And the overall numbers, you know, the ERA doesn't look great, but he's still the highest K percentage that he's ever had in his career. Walk percentage is light, right in line. Yeah, I really don't see much issue at all with Pablo Lopez. I still think he's going to be very good going forward, and I think he's a pretty good buy-low candidate, honestly, right now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with Lopez. This Twins staff in general has been really good, so you can kind of put – maybe a little extra faith in, in some of these guys to keep it going. So yeah, I'm on, I'm on board the Pablo Lopez train. I actually don't have any this year. I wish I did. Cause I do think he'll yeah. be uh, pretty damn good going forward. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any Pablo Lopez. I'm regretting that decision. And I uh, tend to agree with you. Look at like zone contact over the course of this, uh, this stretch and it's fine. Like it's, it's right there where it should be. You know, he's not giving up a ton of zone contact. I think he's just had some bad outings, which tends to happen. Yeah. My biggest concern with Pablo Lopez coming in the season is still my biggest concern with Pablo Lopez, and that's health because he's a yeah. guy who's tended to you know, tend to get hurt, you know, throughout the course of a season. Um, but right now he's healthy, and if I've got him, I'm rolling with him. If someone wants to sell low on him right now, I'm buying um, because, you know, shit. Everybody else has gotten hurt. He hasn't, so – uh, you know, no reason to think that he's going to break down at this point unless we start seeing warning signs, you know, dropping velocity or something like that. But we haven't seen that yet. So I'm fine with Papa Lopez. 
A guy I do have some concerns with, though, and I know we've had a, an episode of, like, don't worry, you know, don't have concerns. I have some concerns with Shane Bieber, and oh, I've had yeah. concerns with Shane <laughs> Bieber for, for a while. And um, he has outpitched his metrics for quite a while, and this month he has not been able to do that. 491 ERA, always starting to finally see the skill uh, degradations catch up with Shane Bieber. Sure looks like it. Uh, like you said, he's always been a guy who's kind of been better than his metrics and stuff would indicate, right? He's never had the, the great fastball that he's been able to throw by people. He's kind of gotten by with the with the slider that's bailed him out. Um, but with the continuing decline in velocity, I mean, it's mostly the same as it was last year, if you want to kind of hang onto that when he was still very, very good. But it's down like three miles per hour from from 2020 when he was at his peak, I think. Um, and you just wonder, like, how, how much more can it go down? How much longer can he really survive like this? Uh, we, we, we've seen this from other pitchers, right? Like, not calling for, like, the, you know, the Madison Bumgarner type drop off. But this is kind of what happened to him a little bit where he starts to lose a mile or two miles per hour, three miles per hour on the fastball. And eventually it catches up to you and you just can't get away with it anymore. And we're kind of seeing that at least so far with opposite handed hitters, lefties are just absolutely murdering Shane Bieber this year, hitting ropes all over the place. I'm, I'm oftentimes, you know, to bring it back to DFS, taking lefty power hitters against him, giving up a ton of hard contact. That's always been an issue for him, but uh, has been especially true this year. He's not a pitcher that I think is affected by really by the new rules or the pitch clock or anything like that. I just think it's, declining stuff and you know you can only have it go down so far before things start to catch up to you and i'll say this too with shane bieber cleveland in general i think they've had the coldest average temperature uh in Mm -hmm. in all their games so he's pitched in some pretty like pitcher friendly weather where the ball hasn't really been flying like you see the cleveland offense has almost no power in it that's going to turn around a little bit for them given the temperatures that they've once it warms up in Cleveland, which turns into somewhat of a hitter's park, especially for lefties in the summer, I think could almost get worse for Shane Bieber. And that 4.9 ERA that he's had over the last 30 days, I don't think that's that far off from what it will be going forward from this point. So, yeah, I don't have any Shane Bieber. I'm glad I don't. Uh, he'd probably be another guy that's sell low on like right now his metrics are you know if you're just looking at the surface stats stats 3.7 era not bad he's obviously still a big name he might be one i would cut bait on if i could get a reasonable return for him. he's one i wrote up uh three weeks ago or something like that for my sell high uh article and i got uh, quite a bit of pushback um and i'm feeling like taking a victory lap i'm not going to yet but i'm feeling like i should lap away Um, we need need more we need more victory laps we need more shit talk we need all that good stuff Mm -hmm. but yeah i I just the skills are degrading he's giving up over 90 percent zone contact like you just can't do that um you know and expect things to continue to go well consistently and i think that's what we're starting to see because the defense can't bail him out over and over and over again. Um, you use Madison Bumgarner's comp. I think the better comp is Kyle Hendricks and what we saw, you know, a guy who didn't have overpowering stuff, but was just so good with command and control. Once he started to lose some of that command and control, things went bad in a hurry. 
I'm yeah. really afraid about Shane Bieber in that regard. I know some people are going to say I'm alarmist uh, and that I've always hated him. And so, of course, now I'm just, you know, trying to stomp on the grave. But um, I do have serious concerns. And like you said, I, I have no problem selling him for like 75 cents on the dollar right now um, if, if I can get that. Because I think he still would give you back a pretty good hitter return. Um, especially from a, a, a if pitching. Doctor, if Doctor Dave gives you shit about your Shane Bieber take, send him send him my way, Justin. I I will. I absolutely will. I'll be talking. <laughs> I'll be talking to Dave tomorrow on the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast. So we'll uh, maybe we'll have to Bieber throw. Guy, yeah, maybe I'll have to throw Bieber on the rundown uh, <laughs> for tomorrow uh, to talk to Dave about that one. Uh, let's do a shout with Sandy Alcantara, uh, who has been uh, struggling. Uh, kind of off and on this year, a 476 ERA over the last 30 days. Uh, that doesn't include today's start. Um, where are you at on Sandy Alcantara? Any worries there? You said you had him in your lineup today. Yeah, I'm not worried about Alcantara. I've been on this train all year. Uh, <laughs> to, the, to the frustration of fun of some of the subscribers, frankly, over at Frontier Sports, because he really hasn't been getting the job done. But I can't really find much to show that he's any different of a pitcher than last year. Now, if you want to, you know, obviously Alcantara pitcher, Michael Harris, a hitter, but you, you know, if you thought that he kind of ran super hot last year and you know was going to kind of have natural regression anyway, I guess that could be a take that you could have on Alcantara. But like, even just watching his start today, he absolutely dominated the A's for, I think he pitched seven innings, maybe just six. Mm -hmm. He had one so, inning where, like, a couple infield hits, like a, you know, a full count walk that could have gone up, could have been easily been a strikeout. I think he had a bunt hit, a bloop. And he gave up, like, five runs in that inning, some bad defense. And, like, I don't I don't have the metrics on the start, but, like, if you, lo if you look at the advanced metrics for that start, like, they're going to show, like, a, you know, like a 1.0 XFIP or Sierra, whatever – whatever uh, metric you want to use. Like, one, 197 XFIP. Yeah, start. exactly. Like I watched the whole start. He looked awesome. He, he was shoving all, all star long, except for just it snowballed on him on that one inning. Uh, you know, I know I said Lance Lynn, I was worried that the left on base percentage for him was a product of maybe him not executing with guys on base. For Alcantara, it was left on base percentage last year was at 79%. It's down to 61%. Career rate at seventy three percent. I'm not worried at all, really, about him being negatively affected by that. I know that, like the, the shift, not being able to shift for a ground ball pitcher. Yes, maybe that has some effect, a small effect, I think, on him. But this isn't a guy I'm concerned about. I honestly think Alcantara will turn it around. I'd be happy to take him off someone's hands. Uh, I would rather have him than Garrett Cole. I'll say that. I would make that trade straight up. I would take Alcantara over Garrett Cole wow. rest of the season. Um, no worries really for me on, on Alcantara. I have some worries. Uh, I definitely would not do Garrett Cole straight up for Alcantara. I think it, it has less to do with him and his skill set and more to do with the defense behind him. Because I think on top of the shift issues, which I think are causing him some issues, I think the defense behind him in the infield is, is atrocious. And I think it is a real problem for him. And I think, uh, you know, the fact they moved Jazz Chisholm to the outfield where he could have been playing a really good shortstop, uh, you know, behind him has hurt him. Uh, and so I do think he's going to be better. I think that, you know, starts like today's start, 
um, or a blip in the radar. Uh, I think that there are going to be more kind of speed bumps along the way than we've seen in years past. And so I don't think he's necessarily an SP1 moving forward, but I still think he's a pretty strong SP2 that is going to be fine uh, over the course of the season. Uh, I want to make a little uh, a lunch bet. I'm sure our paths will cross at some point mm-hmm. in real life. I will take from here on out, June 4th, uh, we could use whatever metric, just like a, a player rater auction value calculator. Yeah, yeah, we, I'll take, we can I'll do. Take, yeah, uh, I'll take Alcantara versus Garakul. Done, absolutely done. Yeah, yeah. I know everyone's going to be on your side on that one, but I'm I'm known for taking yeah. the, the bad side of some of these bets. <laughs> oh, I take the bad side of bets. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, I took the bad side of a few board bets already this year yeah. with, with Paul. So, uh, and I think with the, the triple play guys, I think I've got um, uh, Ahmed Rosario over uh, Xander Bogarts, which is not, not looking great for me right now. So, not looking uh, great for no, either of those guys. Uh, yes, but le- less so for, for Rosario. No, Rosario's uh, been so bad, man. I think he's another yeah. one. Thanks, my teams. Yeah, yeah, me too, unfortunately. Uh, hey, Thank you so much for joining me. Why don't you remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug everything that you do over at Run Pure. Yeah. Uh, Twitter is the only social media that I have. You can find me at DraftSheet. If you're a super sensitive type of type of guy, maybe maybe don't give me a follow, but otherwise you can uh, find me over there. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, my content over at RunPureSports.com. We do have... A, our best promo of the year, Summer 33 code, will get you 33% off if you're interested in getting more into DFS. Uh, mostly DFS. We're not really a, a season-long site. So, yeah, just a DFS site, but we do have all sports, one price, a lot of really, really good, smart uh, content people over there at Run Through Sports. Definitely, uh, definitely go follow his work. And like he said, if – uh, if you are a little bit more on the sensitive side of things, I would not follow him on Twitter. But if you, <laughs> if, if you, if you like my Twitter, you may like uh, <laughs> Draft Sheets Twitter as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JustinFWFB, uh, writing daily at Fangrass and three days a week at Fantasy Pros. I'm doing this podcast and the Friends of Fantasy Betters podcast, which is coming off of hiatus uh, tomorrow. So definitely uh, make sure you're subscribed over there. Uh, for Draftee and myself, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball season.